Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. And in this episode, we're going to look at John chapter 9, in which Jesus restores a man's sight, a man who was originally born blind. This text presents an interesting interplay between light and dark, between vision and blindness. And the question becomes, who's really blind and who can really see what's going on? So without further ado, let's have a look at John chapter 9 from verse 1. As he passed by, he saw, that is Jesus saw, a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man who sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of God who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So first up, the disciples assume that the man's blindness was a direct result of some sort of sin, either that he committed or his parents. Notice that Jesus squashes this thinking right there and then. Jesus claims that the man's blindness serves a specific purpose, namely that God's works might be displayed in him. So what does Jesus mean by this? Does he mean that God intentionally made this man blind just so that he could work a miracle? Let us know your thoughts on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. But for now, let's think a little deeper. The idea that God can work through the things which we considered undesirable gives us hope in times of struggle, in times of despair, in failure. This idea that God can create something new, new life out of the darkness, this is encouraging. What is there in your life which you feel is holding you back? Is there something which you've been wishing and praying that God would just take away? Perhaps this exact thing serves a purpose. Perhaps God will make his power manifest through that very thing which you despise. This idea allows us to look at the restrictions and limitations which we have and view them in a completely different light. All of a sudden, these things which we view as holding us back, as limiting our potential, all of a sudden these very things can be channels for God's power to work through. These things, instead of becoming something which we loathe, can become a servant which serves us. Now Jesus says we must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. What are these works to which Jesus refers? From an earthly perspective, he appears to be referring to the sign he's about to perform. But on a spiritual level, he's referring to something much more profound. See, Jesus continues, stating that he must continue the works of him who sent him while it is day because the night is coming when no one can work. And he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus talks about a time of darkness, which he calls night, when he will leave the world. Let's unpack these ideas now from a mimetic perspective. The idea of darkness here communicates the confusion of a mimetic crisis. 
You may recall, as discussed in podcast 15, in a mimetic crisis, mimetic rivalry runs rampant throughout an entire community. As everyone engages in mimetic rivalry with everyone else, confusion reigns. This confusion may lead the community to persecute an arbitrary scapegoat. In this way, the all-against-all rivalry of the mimetic crisis is transformed into an all-against-one rivalry which unites the community together against a single scapegoat. We saw this mechanism at play in the story of the woman who was accused of adultery in John chapter 6. As they persecuted this woman, the community were blind to the mimetic forces which had forced them to do so. However, Jesus shines his light into the darkness, exposing the arbitrary nature of this process, and in so doing, halts the public lynching, only to find that the woman's attackers now turn on him. The mob identified Jesus as a monstrous threat to the community. They need their scapegoats. They need to be able to persecute sinners so that they can unite their community and confirm their corporate identity. Again, these people are completely blind to the mimetic forces which are uniting them against their scapegoats. These forces will eventually generate a full-blown mimetic crisis which culminates in Jesus' crucifixion. This is the night in which no one can work. Until then, Jesus is determined to operate as a light shining in the darkness, exposing mimetic rivalry for what it is. So let's read the rest of the chapter together and then I'll make a few comments about what happens in this passage. So reading from verse 6. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbours and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is him. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, though, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, I put mud on my eyes and I washed them and I see. So the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division amongst them. He said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents. And they asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he sees now, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, when you won't even listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, he listens to him. Ever since the beginning of the world has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do this. They answered him, You are born in utter sin, and you teach us? They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see might see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, We see... Your sin remains. So let's unpack it a little bit more. First up, let's address the mud in the eyes thing. No one really knows what this is all about. In any case, the man who is blind returns with his vision fully restored. From a mimetic perspective, this man is now aware of the mimetic games that are at play in his world. Put yourself in this man's shoes. This man sat begging day after day. He didn't want to be there. He hated it. He wished he could see just like all those other people. He fantasized about it and all the wonderful things he would be able to do. He imagined what it would be to view a sunset, to gaze at the magnificent temple, to stare into a lover's eyes. You see, this man's sight was the object of his desire, which he saw everyone else had, and he wanted it too. Anyway, one day he actually got to possess that object. One day, Jesus came and restored his sight. And with everything he always wanted, the man rushed to do all those things which he thought would make him happy, which he thought would finally make him complete. But he soon found that he was just as incomplete and just as unhappy as he'd always been. Because he got that object which he thought he always wanted, and then he realized it wasn't everything that he hoped it would be. Fortunately, For the man, this realization gives way to a different type of vision. His eyes are also opened in another way. 
like the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, this man has had an awakening. It's not just his physical eyes which are open now, but in a spiritual sense, his eyes are now open to the folly of the mimetic treadmill which he's been on and which has failed to deliver the satisfaction it promised. Meanwhile, everyone else is deep in confusion and darkness. Consider the confusion and darkness which shrouds the rest of the community. For example, the man's neighbours can't seem to work out whether this is the blind man who used to sit and beg, or it's someone else who just looks like him. Even the Pharisees are confused and divided about what to do with this man, who appears to have his sight restored. They ask him what happened, they ask his parents what happened, and now they come to question the man a second time. So there seems to be this deep confusion and darkness which characterizes this narrative. In contrast, Jesus and the man who has been healed seem to be the only ones who can see clearly. Now interestingly, when the man's friends question him, Jesus appears to be absent. And we saw this same pattern in an earlier episode with the paraplegic man who was healed by the side of the pool. And just like in this story, the man finds Jesus after he's been expelled from his religious community. Jesus appears to be absent in the darkness of the trials and the questions, but reappears once these men have been rejected and expelled from their religious communities. Perhaps there's something for us in there. Those who've been rejected and keep to the margin can often see the injustice of their persecution, while their persecutors continue, blind to the mimetic forces which propel them. Those on the inside justify their actions and compound their darkness with various dogmas and ideologies. Notice that the Pharisees reject Jesus even in the face of all the signs which he is doing because he does not keep the Sabbath. The religious leaders fight to maintain the status quo by persecuting Jesus and others who associate with him. Rather than seeking to reform the religious system, they silence those who criticize them, all the while convinced that they are diligently doing the work of God. On the other hand, those on the outside looking in often see this persecution for what it is. This is the experience of the blind man who is rejected by his religious community and in this process he has his eyes opened to the mimetic games upon which the whole establishment is based. It's often once we get outside these structures that we can see what's going on inside. We've got much to learn by listening to the voices of those people who have been expelled and kicked to the margins because they can often see what those on the inside of those structures cannot. Now let's take a moment to consider how these ideas play out at the level of institutions. Each institution has a specific identity which consists of ideas such as what it stands for, what it does and what it believes. Often institutions will want to concretize these ideas to stop the institution evolving and heading in a negative direction. This is not necessarily a bad thing and this is why institutions will draft documents such as constitutions, creeds and the like. Now these documents 
can give the institution a sense of identity. They may also, though, impede its progress. In the story we're looking at today, the Pharisees and leaders of the Jewish religious machine have an opportunity to reform their practices in response to Jesus's critiques. They have an opportunity to see what Jesus is saying, to respond to that critique and then change the way they act and the way their institutions and religious machine operates. As the story continues, however, we see that the Jewish leaders reject Jesus and seek to maintain the status quo of the religious machine through any means possible. Any institution can fall into this same trap if we refuse to listen to the critiques from those outside the establishment then we miss an opportunity to learn and to grow in a more positive direction. If you look around, you'll notice the institutions that don't have an effective means of doing this. They quickly become insular and irrelevant to the rest of the world, which is going on around them. They justify their actions by vilifying those outside their community who disagree with their values and actions. If institutions want to avoid falling into this trap, the same one we see here in John chapter 9, they need to admit that in some ways they are blind and that critiques from the outside world may shed some valuable light upon their sins. Notice that when the Pharisees question the man about Jesus' identity or who the man thinks Jesus is, the man replies that Jesus is a prophet. And that's what prophets do. Prophets stand outside the religious establishment and they critique what's going on inside the machine. They're not meant to be part of the religious order just telling the leaders exactly what they want to hear. They're meant to be delivering hard-hitting truth and calling from reform. They have to be standing outside the machine for them to see properly what's going on inside the machine. And that's the role of prophets throughout the whole Bible. Often in the Old Testament, prophets stand outside and separate from the monarchy and they fire critiques towards those establishments in the hope that those establishments will learn and understand their sin and their folly and they will make changes to head in a more positive direction. But the Pharisees don't see Jesus as a prophet. They call Jesus a sinner. To which the man replies, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So far, we've interpreted this idea of sin in John's gospel as succumbing to mimetic forces, to getting on and keeping on the mimetic treadmill, if you like. Yet the Pharisees appear to have a different definition of sin. For the Pharisees, a sinner is someone who breaks their rules. For example, the Pharisees label Jesus a sinner because he breaks the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees have manufactured their own definition of sin, which allows them to persecute others while upholding an illusion of piety. Many political and religious organizations follow this same pattern today. They've got Bible verses, theologies, and ideologies to support their actions, but these things just shroud their own sin and persecution of others in darkness. Institutions erect a series of thou shalt nots 
to hide their sin of scapegoating those who transgress or do not agree with their stance on issues such as homosexuality, alcohol, or even climate change. Those who disregard these communally accepted documents and practices are portrayed as monsters which threaten the entire well-being of the community, and for this reason they must be persecuted and expelled. Can you see how these communities have fallen prey to the scapegoat mechanism? Just as the Pharisees hide behind the Mosaic law to justify their persecution of certain people, so many modern churches and organizations claim that their scapegoating practices are the work of God. But as the light of the world, Jesus comes into our darkness to expose that sin for what it is. This is why Jesus says, For judgment I came to this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Although the Pharisees often miss the point of what Jesus is trying to say, in this story the Pharisees take offence to Jesus' comments and ask him, Are we also blind? The answer to this question is of course yes. The Pharisees are blindly persecuting the people, all the while believing they are doing God's work. Jesus replies, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. The Pharisees' blindness is not a sin in itself, but it does allow the Pharisees to justify their rivalry with Jesus. As Jesus notes here, if the Pharisees recognized and admitted their blindness, they would no longer seek to retain the religious status quo through the persecution of scapegoats. They would no longer engage in rivalry with Jesus, but would listen to what he had to say. But the Pharisees claim to be the religious experts who hold a monopoly over the Israelite religion. The Pharisees desire to retain their religious monopoly, which leads them into sin. Their mimetic rivalry leads them to persecute Jesus and others. In this way, the Pharisees claim that they see, and that causes them to remain in sin. Jesus is challenging them to admit their blindness and to consider his critique of their religious establishment in the hope that they might repent from the mimetic games in which they are currently engaged. Thanks for joining me again on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.